you're listening to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win podcast. Welcome to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and today I'm delighted to have Steve Fredland on with me. And Steve is a sought-after innovator engaged to solve the most complex problems. His insights have powered hundreds of breakthroughs in corporations, nonprofits, and small businesses. He is a founder and lead strategist for Steve Fredland Solutions and Small Small Business, as well as a creator of the Solving Box. Currently, Steve is focused on improving leadership effectiveness, employee engagement, and organizational expertise in problem solving. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Hey, Wade. Thanks to be here. Thanks to be here, I said. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, perfect. You know, either way, we'll take it. Yeah, right. Exactly. So um, I like to start off the, the podcast with the same question so people know who's chatting at them. And that is kind of tell your story. How'd you get to be where you're at? And where are you? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a long and winding road, just like all of us have these, these crazy journeys. Uh, high level, I, I'm an actuary by trade. So I was good at math, went to college for math. They said, hey, you should become an actuary, became an actuary. Uh, I spent about 25 years or so in the corporate world doing analytical types of things. And in parallel to that, um, I also was a nonprofit leader. So I started nonprofits and was involved there, kind of doing a dual track thing. And then about four years ago, left the corporate world, went out on my own, became an entrepreneur. And that's where I'm really focused on helping the small, small businesses, the, the micro businesses, the mom and pop shops. So doing coaching, consulting, training, mentoring, uh, all of that sort of work. And then I do public speaking as well. So that's a 30,000 foot view of the story of Steve. So from an actuary to a, a coach and consultant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, you know, I think what I found out is I, I just love helping communities become more vibrant. Like I'm a small town guy. Um, this, these are really my people. So I spent all this time in the corporate world and that was great. I uh, met a lot of great people, but really those aren't my people, if you will. My people are the small town uh, mom and pop shops. And so as I was trying to figure out, once I left the corporate world, how can I help communities become more vibrant. This is even before COVID. How can I help them, you know, the main streets stop dying, the, the shops stop boarding up? How can I contribute to sort of revitalizing communities? And I surrounded myself with people and said, what do you think my role is in this whole thing? And it was helping these small businesses because as they thrive, as they become more successful, the communities become more vibrant because those, those are the people that live there, work there, eat there, play there, volunteer there, spend their money there. If we can help them be more successful, then we're going to see more vibrancy in the communities. And so that was, that was the transition. Yeah. So you kind of follow in sort of your mission there. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't, you know, part of this is really figure out who I am, right? So I just spent years of working and it was good, but that's really part of my journey. Part of my story of how did I become happier was I was just kind of doing a job uh, and not really understanding who I was, how I was wired and not even really even having that, that sort of personal mission that I was aligning to. I was just working. <laughs> you know? And so this was part of my journey to becoming happier was figuring out who I really am, what I really want out of life, and then being intentional about making decisions that led toward, toward that. Excellent. And so you're kind of in this coaching and consulting space. What, what are some of the biggest issues that you see um, going on? Yeah. I mean, in the, in the small business space where I'm really focused, a lot of it is 
like everybody's facing, you know, when COVID has already wreaked havoc on so many businesses, but, but finding people, finding, you know, good qualified people that can help or even anybody, <laughs> any employees, that's, that's the, one of the biggest issues there. But really, I think at the, at the crux of a lot of the problems is clarity. Uh, and I know that surprises people a little bit, but as I work with small businesses and they're like, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I can't figure out you know, how to, what pricing structure to have or if I should expand or contract or what strategy I should take. I sit down with them and I just say, let's just, let's just start getting clear on who you are and what you want out of the business. Uh, why do you own a small business? And a lot of them, they can't even answer that question. And that's not an indictment. It's just a reality. And so as we start unpacking that, what do you really want from this business? Because you can start a small business for a number of different reasons. Why is it that you're starting this business? Why is it that you have this business? And as we get clearer and clearer on what they're really trying to do, a lot of those strategic questions just sort of fall out naturally. And so it's not really a specific issue, but it's really the crux, the foundation of a lot of small business turmoil and lack of success is they don't really know what they're trying to do. And so that undergirds a lot of the other issues that they see that we see. Yeah. So how do you get how do you get there? How do you help them figure out what it is that they're really trying to accomplish? It's just asking questions. It's just asking questions, having an open mind and not and not settling for that first answer because people say, Well, I wanna I wanna make more money. Okay. So what happens if you make more money? Then what's next? You know, you start asking all of these questions about, you know, what they're really trying to do and not allowing them to get away with that pat answer. And I think and I think that really leads you down that road because the reality is like, I let's, for example, let's take a, a real life example. Somebody said, man, I'm just struggling to figure this out. I just have, I, I want to make more, more money. I want to have more time. And I just started asking the question, well, what are you really trying to do? And ultimately what they wanted to do is with like eight to 10 years, they wanted to retire and sell the business. I said, okay. So that's a great goal. Let's put some meat behind that. What does that actually look like? But I said, started looking at some of the strategies. I said, so why are we expanding over here? Like, why are you adding on and, and buying trucks to do this sort of thing? Why are you doing that? It, it flies in the face of everything else they're trying to do because that was a long-term capital investment that they're making. Well, if your goal is to be out of the business completely in eight years, that's probably not the right thing to do. And so part of this is just asking them, why are they doing certain things? And then helping them see the disconnect between that and what they're saying is their actual objective. And it might actually change what their objective is. And so, you know, clarity is a, is a fickle thing. And it just, there's no like pat answer as far as how do you get there? You just ask questions and, and kind of challenge things. And eventually people get there uh, to what they're trying to do. And what you find out, especially in like organizations where there's maybe a board of directors or there's multiple owners is that people have different perspectives on what they're really trying to do. And that's why there's so much chaos inside the organization because the left hand is doing one thing, the right hand is doing one thing, the, the leg is doing another thing. Everybody's pulling in different directions. It's like a sled dog team all pulling in different directions, right? And they're wondering why the sled's not going toward, toward the goal. And so um, you know, how you get there is you just ask questions and you force people to actually be honest and, and get past um, you have to kind of get people past this idea of what they should do, what other people are expecting them to do, and get them to the point of what do you what do you really want? You're the business owner, not what people expect of you, not what you should want. What do you really want? And that's a hard hard place for people to go because most of us have these decades long experiences of doing what we should do or what society thinks you know what they expect of us. Yeah, you know, I see that in small business as well, but I also see that with people in careers. Yeah. You know, they, you know, well, 
you might be an example of that. that that's, it's my story. I mean, that, that is 100% my story is I've had a really good career, right? I'm an actuary, work for Fortune 500 companies, get promotions. I had a great marriage, great relationships. Everything was great on paper, but I was miserable, right? And why did I, how did I get there? Well, because I did what I should do. I was good at math, so I should go to college. I was good in college, so I should become an actuary. I was good at, as an individual contributor, so I should become a manager. You know, I was good at this. That's what I should do, right? We allow ourselves to get should on. We should on ourselves all the time, right? You should do this. You should do this. You should go to the conference. You should get married. You should have a kid. You should blah, blah, blah. You should, should, should. And they're not even bad things, but you wake up one day, at least I woke up one day and said, man, I've got a really, really good life. It's too bad it's not mine. <laughs> right. That was kind of my big epiphany moment about 15 years ago. And I felt even worse about it because I felt guilty. Like I have no right to complain because it was a good life. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a middle-aged white man in the United States. Like, what do I have to complain about? But I was still miserable. Um, but that that's kind of that awakening that we have sometimes in a lot of people in our careers. We wake up one day and we're like, this sucks. Yeah. And it doesn't mean it's a bad job. It doesn't mean it's a bad people, bad company. It's just not who you are. It's the it's the misalignment between who you are and what you're being asked to do in the world. And that creates this, this tension and this irritability and ultimately uh, drives our unhappiness. So what advice would you give somebody that, you know, maybe they don't know they're there? You mm -hmm. know, there's just something nagging at them maybe, but, you know, they haven't really come to that realization that they're living somebody else's life. Um, well, what kind of advice do you have for that? Yeah, I would say if you're not miserable, don't go searching for it because you'll find it. <laughs> but like well, like you said, it, it's sort of, uh, I use the analogy of like our backbone, right? It's like, it's the central support system for our body. And if everything's lined up right, like things are smooth, everything's good. But once you start getting a little bit of misalignment, you start getting a little bit uncomfortable. It's, you know, it starts keeping you up at night a little bit. Maybe you get headaches, you become a little irritable and you become a happiness. And so the people that you're talking about are maybe at that stage of, Ah, it's just started. Hmm, it's just starting to feel like not perfect. It's just not working right. Or I've got to lay down at night and kind of stretch it out. Or you know, it's kind of like that. Our life is like that. Just all sorts of feel like this isn't really a good fit. Uh, and so, if you're at that stage, I think the the key is again clarity, figuring out who you are, what you really want. Like that is really what it is. Just because just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean you should jump out of your job. Doesn't mean you should jump out of your career because the grass might not be greener over there. And if you don't really understand who you are and what you want, you could be going from a you know a, a not a great situation to a terrible situation. I mean, working for yourself is not always the answer. Switching companies is not always the answer. It starts with really knowing, trying to figure out why am I uncomfortable? And sometimes people have that ability to do that themselves. Usually they need help. They need a family member. They need a coach. They need a therapist. They need somebody to kind of help them figure out why are you not uh, why you're not feeling perfect about your life and about your job. So I think you understand that. And then once you figure that out, if you realize, okay, well, who I am, what I want isn't really lined up with my current job, that still doesn't mean you should necessarily jump. In some cases you could, but a lot of times managers or owners or whoever it is that's your superior would love to have that conversation with you, right? And a lot of times we don't give them the chance. We just jump. I would say if you're starting to feel like, man, this job isn't really what I'm looking for, have the conversation with your manager, with your boss, with your owner, with whoever it might be, your board of directors, and just come out with it. But here's the deal. Here's where I'm at. Here's what I want out of life. Here's how I want to do things. And my job's not doing it. Give them an opportunity to maybe adjust the job to you to say, you know what? Well, maybe would you like to try your hat at sales? 
you know, we could we could actually make more of your job more sales based if that's kind of what you're feeling. You'd like to be more engaged with people and less time with a spreadsheet, whatever whatever it might be. So um, I think figure out what's really causing it. Don't just jump to conclusions. Do the hard work, figure it out, and then give somebody the opportunity to adjust your situation to that. And then you know, if if push come to shove, maybe you need to switch careers or switch jobs. So yes, I mean sometimes it comes down to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just reach that point. Like that's where it got to for me, where I tried, you know, I just, I just said, man, this this isn't working. I need to make a change. This isn't, this is just, I can't continue in this situation. They said, well, this is what we need from this, this position. And I said, okay, well then I'm going to have to go. And I mean, that's, that's a good way to break up, right? Say, well, I was honest about what I need. They were honest that they need somebody that can do this sort of thing or that's wired this way. And then we say, okay, well, let's just agree to disagree and let's move on. Um, there's nothing wrong with that at all versus just all of a sudden you just leave one day and they're like, what, what was, I didn't know there's a problem. You know, and if they just would have said there's a problem, man, we would have loved, we would have loved to have keep that person. We would have shifted them or, or done those kind of things. So yeah, sometimes that's the answer, but I think a lot of times we just jump there too quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so have you ever seen it where maybe the leader sees it before the person does? Oh, yeah, that's great. Great leadership. Right. Yeah, so, sorry, I cut you off there. But no, that, that's the kind of leader that you want to be. I think, I think if, if we are in the mode of as a leader, if you have a team of people, I mean, ultimately, you want them to be productive, you want them to help you advance toward the vision, the mission, whatever it is that your organization is trying to do. And part of that is we need to keep people around. We need to attract the right people. We need them to be productive. We need them to be engaged. All of these magic words, right, that are an industry. But a lot of times we don't manage like that. We, we manage very reactively. We just wait for there to be a problem. And then we try to address it really quick. But if you are a good leader, if you're a good manager, you're actually thinking about what you're trying to accomplish as a team. And then you're thinking about all of your people in the context of that. And if you want to keep them engaged and keep them retained and all of these things, you want them to be happy. And so you should be on the front lines of that and going, okay, what, what do I know about Wade? Okay, you know, and if I don't know, I should ask. I should do personality tests. We should do whatever it takes for me to understand what makes you tick. What makes you, you know, is it recognition? Is it money? Like, what do you enjoy? What are your personality traits? How do I see you interact with people? Hey, man, Wade, I just, you know, I had an idea. I just want to run this past you. I'm thinking about, you, you seem to really love solving complex problems. I know you don't get much of a chance to do that. I've got a, an issue coming up over here. I'd love to have somebody lead. I'm just curious if you'd be interested in taking that on. I mean, if you were an employee, wouldn't you be like, oh my God, whether you like it or not, they're thinking about me. I now have greater ownership. I'm no more engaged in that organization. I know that you've got my best interest at heart. I know I can come to you with whatever it is. So yeah, I mean, I love those situations. And often that is the case. Like as a parent, I see that with my kids. I've got three grown kids. I've seen their personality and I know how they're going to interact with the world well before they do. Right. And now they have to still make their own choices and that sort of thing. But I can actually give some wisdom and set situations up where they can thrive. And it's the same thing with, with managers. You should, you're a leader because in part, you should be seeing things before other people see them. Yeah. It's really kind of the heart of empathy, right? It is. Yeah, it, it's, it's exactly it. And this whole idea, I mean, because I think at the heart of empathy is knowing how other people are wired and how they might respond to something, how they might be feeling in that situation. And people that don't have empathy can't do that. They just say, well, I'm an introvert, so I'm going to treat everybody like an introvert or vice versa. And I think, yeah, managers have empathy. And that part of that is 
realizing how people are going to engage in different situations and trying to create opportunities and environments where they can truly thrive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just think about the power you can have. And right now we're all dealing with this thing. Well, not, not all of us, but many businesses are dealing with the great resignation. Yeah. Some businesses aren't. And, you know, certainly that the whole idea of empathy and helping them find a clarity yeah, mm-hmm. that goes a long way. And the businesses that aren't dealing with it probably have a lot of that going on. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah, part of, there's some industries that are more susceptible to that to others, but man, the, the leadership, the value, the, the, the quality of the leadership dictates a lot of that too. And I mean, part of that is even generational too, right? I mean, if you're 60, 70, 80 years old, you know, you're like, I just went to the job and I just worked it and I didn't need this. I didn't need somebody to think about how I'm feeling or whatever. That's great. That works for you. But this generation now, they have so many options. They can work for themselves. My daughter put herself through college doing a secondhand thrift store account on on Instagram. Like they don't have to work for a company if they don't want to. And so I think this idea of just, you know, suck it up and just go to work is kind of gone. And so leaders, we need to recognize this, that we need to create environments for people where they can really thrive, where they can feel success uh, and try to avoid some of the, the impact of the great resignation. And, you know, it's a lot easier to retain people than it is to attract people. And so, you know, take care of the people that you have there, even if you don't think they're great, you know, meet them where they're at uh, if it's important that you keep them. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. You know, that, that's good stuff. And, you know, it's not that hard. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not that hard, but it is that hard, right? Like it's, I, I think the part that's not that hard is, you know, us talking about it and the theories behind it. I think what gets hard is, especially in the small businesses where I work is having the time to actually do that. So we prioritize everything else, right? As a business owner, we're like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I want to, I want to talk to them about where they're at. I want to give them opportunities to thrive, but dang, they just need to do their job while I figure this thing out. And so I think, you know, the chaos of, of small business ownership or even the chaos of fortune 500 leadership gets in the way. And so it, you have to be so intentional about prioritizing this. So it's not that hard, but it's, it's a matter of prioritizing. Once you prioritize it, it, it's not that hard. And I think that the beauty is once you've done it, once you've seen it and you realize the impact of it, especially over the long term, it's like a no brainer to invest in this thing. But, but when you're sitting there going, man, I got to talk to this client or I got to take care of my employee. The client seems to always take priority. And what happens is one day you wake up and all your employees have left and you're like, oh, they're all terrible people. I mean, no, they weren't in an environment where they could thrive is the problem. Yeah. And unfortunately, the urgency, the urgencies of the moment take over, right? Right. And so it's that short-term, long-term, like that's the balance that every small business owner, every leader has to deal with is there's the short-term and there's the long-term investments that you have to make and you have to be able to balance those things. But what happens as a leader if you know you start having those uh, clarity conversations, and it turns out that the person, they're uh, when they get clear, they find out that you know what they where they want to be isn't where they are. Yeah, that's that's tough. And I think as a leader, you try to figure out is there a way that I can I can help them get there within the organization that we're in right now. I mean, I think that's part of it. Uh, sorry, get a little bit of echo there. Um, but you know, that's part one is can I figure out what's the root cause? Because really what people determine about themselves is it's not their core identity don't align with what they're being asked to do. And so you can say, well, you have to go somewhere else, or you can say, well, how can we better change this environment to line up with your core identity and who you are? Um, but at the reality is, yeah, you might discover that they need to leave. They might discover that they need to leave. That's unfortunate, but they're going to leave as a champion of yours. 
they're not going to leave as a negative. You know, it's this whole idea of the net promoter score, if you've heard of that, and the NPS rating, all those things. Some people leave organizations, and if they don't leave well because they're, you know, whatever the situation was, they're going to go tell everybody they meet for the rest of their life. You know, if somebody says, oh, yeah, you know, I, I drive by 3M every day. Oh, I hate that place. That place, you know, I left there and that bosses are terrible. And they're going to have this impact on everybody the rest of their life if they have a bad situation. But let's say that, you know, I come to you, Wade, as, as a person, I'm like, man, I just don't know if this is going to work because of my situation, my personality. And, you're, and we come to a mutual conclusion that I don't know that we can help you here, Steve. I mean, I just don't know that it's going to be a good fit. I love to try to make this work. Let me talk. I know three other people. Let me talk to them because they have, you know, I think it'd be a good fit for you to work with them inside of this company or somewhere else or whatever. Even if I end up leaving you, I'm going to say, people are going to say, oh yeah, I heard about Aim to Win. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I worked with them for a while and they were fantastic. It didn't really work out in the run in the long run, but and Wade was great. He really had my best interest in mind. I would recommend anybody work there. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about in terms of long-term investment. Yes, you might lose an employee, but if they're going to leave anyway, like if it's not a good fit, they're going to leave anyway. Now you can determine how are they going to leave? Are they going to leave as a champion of your organization? Or are they going to leave as, uh, as sort of a negative um, person spreading negativity everywhere they go? That's a decision they have to make. So talking about the solving box. Yeah, so the solving box is really, you know, for, for my entire career, uh, I was a problem solver. Like, that's what I did. Um, and I didn't really have a method to doing it. I just sort of always was good at solving problems and trying to optimize solutions. And I was challenged a couple of years ago for somebody said, hey, can you, can you try to teach problem solving? Is there a way that you could actually help us become better decision makers, better problem solvers, uh, come up with more optimal strategies? And it forced me to think through how do I actually solve problems? Like I've never really thought about it. And so what I as I as I worked through that process, what it came out to be something I called the solving box, which is really just a framework to help people solve problems. Because as I've discovered, um, that is something that it's a skill that people can learn. And as I challenge organizations, uh, I tell them, you know, what if every decision you make, every solution that was that was, you know, um, created every strategy that was created, if those were all just one, 2% better than, you know, what you come up with on your own, how much better would your organization be? And it's huge. And so I created the solving box as a way to teach uh, problem solving. Uh, and really it's, I mean, I give you a real high level overview. Basically it just starts with clarity, like everything I talk about, clarity, clarity, clarity. Uh, Albert Einstein once said, if I had an hour to, to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes on the problem, five minutes on the solution. And I just am such a proponent of that. If you have a problem, a decision, a strategy, figure out, just get absolute clarity on what you're really trying to do. What is the problem? What is the decision? What is the, the thing you're trying to solve? And then once you have that, it's, it's really about, on one side, figure out what are all the goals and constraints with that decision, with that problem, with all of your stakeholders. What's everybody trying to accomplish? What are the goals? What are you really trying to do out of that thing? And then on the other side, figure out what is the universe of possible solutions? What are all the different possibilities for this decision, for this problem? And just brainstorm and get them all out there and then start to combine those two things. If I think about it, here's all the possible solutions and here's all the different goals and the constraints that we have, what are those solutions that start to emerge as the favorites in there? But then the real power is once you've done that is to go through it again this idea of iteration, this idea of sort of um, going through it again and again, this is the optimizing that actually happens. This is the idea of moving from just trying to get a solution to trying to get the solution. 
you know, we because I think a lot of times we just come up with a solution, right? There's a problem. This solution will work. Let's just do it. And in some cases, that's fine. But when you start um, trying to make things more optimal and you start making every decision better, every strategy better, every solution better, that's where you really start to have breakthroughs in, in small businesses. And so this idea, then we iterate through it again. We start thinking, now, what did we learn through that process? Are these actually the goals or did certain goals emerge as more important? Are these actually the constraints? Are there new constraints? Are there new stakeholders that we didn't consider before? Are there new solutions? Like I think about portfolio investment theory where you can have two investments that maybe have a certain risk reward trade-off, but when you combine them, they have a more optimal risk reward trade-off. There's, you know, there's less risk combined than there is individually. And so you start thinking about that in terms of solution sets. And so it's this iterative process of going through and looking at what are the possible solutions, what are the goals and constraints, what are the what are the more most optimal solutions, and do it again. Uh, depending on how important the the problem is, you keep doing that until you really get that optimal solution. And so that's sort of what my brain does automatically. You know, we have we all have our pros and cons. My brain never shuts off. I am always trying to optimize problems. I wake up every morning solving some problem that has nothing to do with the life. I was trying to figure out how do I get rid of gophers in my yard, and I woke up dreaming about this. And trying to optimize a strategy to get gophers out of my yard. Like this is my brain. And so this, this the solving box is really an attempt to try to take those of us who are, are really good at problem solving. How do we actually teach that and improve the, the problem solving capability of organizations? Yeah, excellent. And uh, and probably some application there with when it comes to employee retention engagement as well. A hundred percent. Yep. It's it's all related. All of this stuff is related. Mm-hmm. All right. I have one more question before I let you get out of here. And that is how do people find you? Ah, so I'm all over social media, but the mo- most commonly on LinkedIn, uh, I do something called Steve's Daily Stool, which is just a, a daily video of me on a stool kind of sharing some insights. And it's designed to be sort of fun and clever, that sort of thing. So LinkedIn is where I'm most active social media. And then uh, website-wise, I've got two of them. One is smallsmallbusiness.com. And that's where you can find out you know, what we do in supporting these micro-businesses and nonprofits. And then the other one is stevefredland.com which is really geared toward more of my speaking and mentoring that I do. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you having on the podcast today. Yeah, my pleasure, Wade. Fun to chat with you. Yep, enjoyed it. And, uh, and thank you for listening to the Aim to Win podcast. As always, subscribe, like, all those kind of things, wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. We'll talk to you next week. <music>